Hey everybody, uh, my name is Ryan and I'm really excited to be getting to chat with you guys this morning. Uh, if you know me at all, you know that one of my passions is neighboring and neighbors. And part of that is probably because I've had such fantastic neighbors and, and honestly such interesting neighbors through the years uh, that they've uh, impacted my life in a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the favorite neighbors that I've had uh, was a lady named Joan who lived about four houses down from me in Keller Park neighborhood when I lived there. And Joan was about 137 years old, give or take a decade or two. Uh, it's really kind of hard to tell. Um, but one of the great things about being 137 years old, give or take, is that you can get away with anything, right? <laughs> I mean, you can just say whatever you want, and everybody's just like, oh, 137 years old, you know? Uh, but one of my favorite stories about Joan then uh, is we were having a uh, potluck cookout uh, in the neighborhood. And so all the neighbors are there, and we got all the food laid out, uh, and everybody's going through the line. And one of my friends was going through the line, and Joan was going through the line, like right following behind her. And as she's going through the line, uh, my friend takes a good scoop of cheesy potatoes, as you should, right, and puts the cheesy potatoes on her plate. And Joan looks at her and she said, eating those is why you're getting fat. <laughs> it was one of those like record scratch moments where everybody's like, did she just say what we think she said? Yeah, she, yeah, she did that. Okay. Uh, and to defend Joan, I think she had positive intentions, right? She honestly was just trying to help think through healthiness and whatnot. Uh, but even with her good intentions, the reality of it is it didn't feel so great, uh, probably, right? Uh, now, take that same thing, and let's see if your like, doctor said the same thing, right? So you're going on with life, and you go in, and you're seeing your doctor for your annual checkup, and going through your charts, and say, well, Ryan, as I look at what's going on here, I have to say that uh, I think it's the cheesy potatoes that are making you fat. <laughs> Right, like that would feel different, right? It still would hurt a little bit, uh, but it would feel different coming from your doctor, right? So you got the same words, you got the same intention to be helpful, and yet there's something different about the situation. It's not the what, but it's the how. And I love our mantras because they help shape us as a church. But they don't just shape what we do, they shape how we go about doing it. And I'm curious in how those shape not just who we are as a church, but I'm curious how those shape who we are as neighbors, right? Because if we're ever going to become this community, we want to become this community of grace and peace for our city, well, that's going to depend as much on what happens out there in our neighborhoods and in our homes as it does in here. And frankly, the church in America doesn't have the best reputation for that, do we? I remember there was a week uh, when I was in Keller Park, one of my neighbors came in the doors of the church, uh, and he started telling me a story as I was asking, and this friend grew up in the violent gangs in Chicago, even to the point of participating in the violence himself. And it wasn't until adulthood that he met Jesus and had his life transformed, and he was able to move away from Chicago and get away from there, came to South Bend. Uh, but since that time, when he was in South Bend, he had been bouncing from church to church to church. And I said, friend, what's going on, man, that you just keep ending up from one church to another to another to another? He said, I think the thing is, Ryan, that I experienced more love in my gang in Chicago than I found in any church that I've been in since then. Oof. Right? And that fits with the story of my wife, Robin. Uh, who she had a not too dissimilar story of growing up around drugs and chaos kind of in life and family. 
Uh, and it was her senior year of high school that she walked into a church for the first time, and she met Jesus and saw life transformation happen in her life at that point in the years to follow. And she uh, voiced to me this confusion during that first year of following Jesus and being in a church for the first time, and said, Ryan, I was confused why my atheist father was more kind to people than the people that I was coming across inside these churches. How did this happen? How did this happen where people, we, people who follow a Jesus, who says, when someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them your other. Or when someone demands of you to, to give them your coat, you should also offer to give them your shirt off your back as well. Or a Jesus who tells us that we should not judge others so that we will not be judged. How do people who follow a Jesus like that gain a reputation for being less loving than the rest of the world at large? Well, the issue is not so much the message, but the approach. And as they talk to neighbors, they're primarily concerned with the problem of how we go about getting into other people's business and the fact that we're not doing that very well as a church. And the problem here, I believe, comes at the intersection of everyone an icon and fields, not factories. Right? Do we treat our neighbors as though they are people beautifully created in the image of God to reflect his goodness? Or do we treat them like projects for conversion or proselytization? Do we see our neighbors as having lives where worth cultivating the goodness and grace and peace that God is already working out in them? Or do we see them with a desire to control them toward our own desired results? How is it that we are seeing them? All right, so today we're going to be diving in to the basics here. Jason has done this job giving us this overview of the mantras, and he's just painted them so beautifully. Today, we're just going to like dive into the nitty-gritty and workshop the basics. Today is like leg day for the mantras, right? Um, that was my effort to convince you guys I like work out and stuff, but you saw through that, didn't you? <laughs> a guy talks about Taco Bell three times a week, and you put him in a category and think he doesn't work out and stuff. <laughs> I don't. You're right. All right, so we're going to dive in. Uh, before I do, I just have this disclaimer um, that the points that are going to come out today come both from the scripture and they come from psychology. And I just say this because the background I came from uh, valued scripture so highly, which it is. The scripture is the greatest source of truth in my life. But it told us that every point in a sermon had to come directly from scripture because of that. But the tradition of the Christian faith that we come from, it's much broader than that, and sees that there is truth of God found in all sorts of different places. And I'm reminded of this quote from Augustine, who is one of the founding church fathers and a theologian and a philosopher. He said this, a person who is good and true should realize that truth belongs to God wherever it is found, gathering and acknowledging this truth, even if in non-religious literature. What, is, what Augustine's saying here is God has put his truth all over in the world, and we can find the truth that he's put in in different ways. 
I went to a uh, workshop a while back, and it was just a three-hour workshop on becoming a more trauma-informed church, saying how can we as a church understand the trauma that people have been through and be able to love them through the trauma in a healthy and helpful way, right? And so I was so excited to go and get pointers to bring back to us with South Bend City Church so we can love our neighbors better. But it was only a three-hour workshop, and the presenter spent the first hour and a half trying to convince us from the New Testament that Jesus was trauma-informed and in in how he went about doing things, which left only an hour and a half, only a very limited time to actually tell us how we should love our neighbors better. And I remember being so frustrated because the reality is this. If Jesus tells us to love our neighbors, and we see that very clearly in scriptures, then I'm okay with psychologists telling me the best way to love them. Right? And if we can know that people feel more safe sitting in individual chairs than in pews, I don't need to find that in the New Testament for it to be useful. Okay? So we're going to move forward here today saying Jesus has taught us to love our neighbors and Jesus put his goodness in the world and we can see that through science. So we're going to learn from scriptures and we're going to learn from psychologists about how to love our neighbors well. Sound good? All right. Here we go. How to help your neighbors cultivate more grace and peace. Let's get practical. Step one, healthy cultivation takes relationships takes relationship. Dr. Norman Wright, psychologist, says it like this. Nobody enjoys being confronted or cultivated. So how do you overcome this? You build a trusting relationship so the person is prepared to hear, consider, and accept the confrontation. Surprise! Nobody enjoys having somebody else root around in their business, especially when they don't know or trust you, right? So maybe this is Joan, the problem that Joan was having, right? That she just kind of put herself out there without being in deep enough relationship like a doctor to be effective. Maybe that's it. And we can easily write Joan off except that Christians do this kind of thing all the time. We're kind of known for rooting around in other people's business and cultivating and confronting without having relationships with them. We have preachers that stand on the corner and just speak whatever they think to anybody who walks by without having any relationship whatsoever with them or without thinking about what they might be going through or how it applies to their life or how it's being received or whether it's being helpful or harmful in any way, right? We do this thing without relationships all the time. Man, in Christianity, we got these bumper stickers and these church signs. It's crazy. My brother-in-law saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, many people expect to turn to Jesus in the 11th hour but die at 10.30. Yikes! Even if that's the case, why would you say it like that on a bumper sticker? Right? And then church signs, like eternity smoking or non-smoking. Like whoever, who has ever passed that sign and been like, I never considered my preferences until now. Right? It's just not helpful. It's not helpful. People don't like it without relationship. And we should consider that. And I realize here that probably few of you have bumper stickers, a few of you have ever changed a church sign to put some funky message up there. But we send social media memes around maybe, right? We either create them or we see them and we forward them on to people we know, right? And put them out there even if we don't have a relationship, just thinking that, oh, this will teach somebody, right? And we get ourselves out there and do kind of the same thing without relationship. And Wright tells us it's not helpful. People don't like it. But if there's a relationship there, it might be different, he says. It might. There might have this situation where they say, like, I don't like this, but if I like you, I might let it work on me anyway because of the relationship we have together. And that's where progress is made. 
So if you don't have a relationship, don't start digging around in somebody else's field. Also, this is not a one-size-fits-all proposition. It's not that if you have a relationship, now I have a blank check for cultivation, right? Like, I know you, so now I can say whatever I want because I checked the relationship box. Well, that's not exactly how it works either. Wright goes on to tell us this. The stronger the relationship, the more powerful and intense the cultivation can be. And that makes sense, right? The depth of the relationship affects the depth of the cultivation that's there. Uh, my friend Emily over here can say, Ryan, your breast stinks, you need a breath mint, right? And she can do that because we're friends, and I would accept that level from her where I wouldn't maybe from a random stranger on the street saying it in that way. But my wife, Robin, she can look at me and say, hey, Ryan, your insecurities are leading a, a desire to be right all the time in your life in a way that's affecting negatively your relationship with your daughters, right? That's just hypothetical, by the way. Right? But my wife can say things to me that nobody else on the planet can say because we have the depth of relationship. The depth of the relationship determines the depth of the cultivation. All right, some action points here. One, you're not going to be helpful from a distance. So if you want to be helpful to your neighbor, you want to be helpful to your family, you want to be helpful to the people around you, it's not going to happen from a distance. So we have to spend the time, we have to put the work in to draw close and draw near in relationships with other people. We've got to get close. And the second part of this, on the other side, for your life, if you want to grow, you also have to let others get close to you. Because otherwise, you're not going to want to hear it. Right? You have to let people in. I love that the Benedictine order of monks, one of their values is called stability. And it's just simply this, that they commit to stay in the same place and with the same group of people for a long enough time for people to get truly close to them and see past the masks and see past the, the fronts they put up to really get to know them so that people can speak into their life. They realize that unless you commit to that depth of relationship, you're going to miss out on a lot of healthy work that can be done in your life. Cultivation takes relationship. Two, healthy cultivation takes listening. James tells us this, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. One of the simplest and most profound verses, I think, in the New Testament, right? So much truth there. Perhaps the biggest difference between fields and factories and cultivation or control is listening, right? Because control already knows what's needed and sets out to make it happen. But cultivation takes a listening process, right? You have to go out and evaluate the field. You have to evaluate the weather conditions. You have to evaluate the soil conditions. You have to see what's going on before you know what the next step is to take in the cultivation process. There's listening involved in cultivation. So many times our problem is we see a situation and we assume what needs to happen without even listening. I grew up with an unhealthy view of sexuality. And I remember one of the converse, first conversations I had with one of my first gay friends. And he was just kind of pouring out his life and his heart and his life story to me, pouring out the pain he experienced both in his past and the pain he was experiencing in the present relating to the world around him. And I remember listening to his story, and he got to the end of it, and I was like, man, that's really tough. You should pray about that, right? And I'll pray with you. And he looked at me and he said, Ryan, no offense, but 
I grew up every day of my life in school being bullied. And I cried myself to sleep every night just wishing somehow life would be different than the life how I was experiencing it. You don't, ever, you don't think I ever thought to pray about that? And I realized my understanding of the situation did not reflect reality very well. Same with addiction. It was always this thing that other people dealt with. And I was firmly convinced that all the addict really needed to do was to want to be sober more than they wanted the, the good feelings that came with the drug. All they really needed to do was to want to have good relationship with their family or to want to have the stability of having a job uh, or to want to be able to move forward. Like if they just wanted that more than they wanted the good feeling that they would get in that moment, then everything would be okay. That's what I thought. And then it came into my family. And I got to listen to the stories of people battling addiction. Really listen and see the painful daily journey the painful battle, the tears that would wish anything but their current experience, anything to have freedom. And I realized I knew nothing of that situation. I knew nothing. Listening changes things. Sometimes listening changes our approach. We, we listen, we hear the stories, and we realize the thing we thought should happen next is not the thing that should happen next, that there's something different. Sometimes listening changes things, but sometimes listening changes us. I love the story in Acts 10 of Peter and Cornelius, and this is a story where God's kingdom comes into uh, openness to the Gentiles for the first time, right? Because Peter was a part of the Jews, God's people group, uh, and Cornelius was a part of the Gentiles, and to this point, God's kingdom hadn't been openly extended to the Gentile people, and the Jews and Gentiles knew they weren't supposed to be together, and they weren't supposed to mix, right? And then one day, some people show up from Cornelius' family and ask Peter to come back and talk with their family. And Peter says, I don't think I'm supposed to do that, but God said, Peter, I want you to go. And so Peter listened to God and ended up going to the family of Cornelius. And he showed up at that house and he said, hey, people, like, I'm really not supposed to be here. I don't even know why I'm here. I'm just here because I was listening to God and he told me I was supposed to show up. So why don't you tell me why you asked me here? And Cornelius' family went on to share their story. They went on to share a story of faithfulness, of faithfully seeking after God and pursuing God for years. And as they share that story, Peter listened and he soaked it in. And then he had this response at the end. He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He listened to God and he showed up at the house. He listened to his neighbors and heard their story. And at the end of that process, Peter himself was changed. Listening changes things. Before doing anything, may we be people who make sure to take the time to listen. Three, healthy cultivation takes empathy. It takes empathy. Dr. William Crane says it like this. Only when empathy is established is the climate ready for cultivation. Until then, until empathy comes, it is neither wise nor helpful to try to cultivate. Now, the word empathy means to feel with, as though you are seeing with the other person's eyes. The author of Hebrews says it like this. He says, remember those in prison 
as though you were there yourselves. And those who are mistreated as though you feel their pain in your own bodies. As though you were there yourself. As though you feel their pain in your body. Folks, this is more than thoughts and prayers. Right? This is going in depth into the heaviness of other people's situations. This is diving into the middle of it. If we want to get to the point where we feel up for helping others cultivate grace and peace, it will not be smooth sailing. It will be painful, probably exhausting. That's what this process looks like. But if done right, it can be beautiful or helpful, rewarding. All right, I have a little side soapbox here for a second. I've met lots of Jones in my life. Uh, I've met lots of people that just like telling it like it is, even when they're not 137 years old, right? Lots of people that, that like the ability to just let it roll and, and wear that as a badge of honor, that they just say whatever it is that they're thinking at any point in time, and they love it. Sometimes it's seen as a personality thing. Sometimes in the church world, it's seen as a, a prophet thing, right? This calling by God to tell other people how it is. And I'm not, setting, I'm not setting that as a thing that doesn't happen. But they, the thing is, is that they love the role of speaking this truth to other people. But if we understand it properly, and we understand what cultivation and speaking truth really means, we understand that there's painfulness in the midst of it. There's heaviness in it. As Paul says in Galatians, it's carrying the other's burdens as though they're your own burdens. That is not a fun process. So if you like confrontation with other people, you're probably doing it wrong because it is heavy and it is painful to walk in the mud with others. It is no easy task. Healthy cultivation next takes permission. It takes permission. Dr. Crane again says this, a judging cultivation without the other person being prepared for it may end any relationship which would make helping possible. If we try to move forward and we don't have permission and the other person is not ready, there's a good chance that we will damage the relationship and hurt our chances to help in the future. The need for permission has so many applications and implications. Let me talk about table groups for a second. But before I talk about table groups, let me tell you what table groups are. you may be new here, and if you're new here, there's three primary uh, modes of which we uh, act as a community. One is gatherings, which is what we're doing here. Uh, the second is streets, which is where, how we meet our neighbors on common ground for the common good. And the third is tables. And tables is simply where we get around a table in groups of eight to ten people, and we commit to regularly getting together a couple times a month and simply having intentional conversation around these two questions. Where are you and what do you want? Right? And those questions, you can take those as deep as you feel comfortable and, and have trust or as shallow as you want at any point in time. But that's kind of what we do together, just recognizing the importance of sharing a meal and sharing some intentional conversation. If that sounds interesting to you, we are currently launching a new round of tables. You can go to the website, southbendcitychurch.com. There's a link for tables, and you can see all the different tables that are open if you want to jump in there. Those will run through the end of the school year, so you're not committing for the rest of your life. Uh, You can just commit to jump in for a little bit and see how that goes. All right, tables. So let's say you're at a table group, 
and you're sitting there around the table and you're eating some really good food and somebody shares, this is what I'm going through and these are the things I'm wrestling with and they kind of pour out their heart and you hear that and you know exactly what they need because you had a friend who went through that one time and so you've got it and you're ready to share the steps they need to take you forward. You are ready to cultivate. Stop. Stop and breathe for a second and ask yourself, do I have permission from this person to be cultivating in their field right now? Or maybe they're just sharing in need of support, right? Do I have permission? And if we don't know the difference, we may be damaging relationships. Now, here's what you can do if you think it's important. You can say, hey, I have some thoughts right now. Would you mind if I share them? And ask for that permission from that person to speak, in, to speak into their life. But let's also make sure that we give them the freedom to answer no in that and that we respect the no that may come back. All right, on the flip side of that, uh, on the receiving and the permission, permission can become this ultimate firewall that we use to keep people out from cultivating in our lives, right? That we can tell people like, uh, I didn't give you permission to speak, so I don't have to listen to you, right? And then we go through our life without ever having people help us to walk and grow and move forward with that. But if we realize the importance of cultivation, may we consider letting people in. Uh, I dated a girl for three years in, into college. And when we broke up, I remember my friends were like, yeah, that's pretty great because we just never saw that work in any way. I was like, what? Why didn't you tell me this? That was three years of my life. I just, that would have been helpful information at some point in time. They're like, well, we didn't think you really wanted to know. I was like, okay. Well, in the future, tell me about these things, right? I need to know these things. Sometimes, even with those closest to us, we have to give them permission to say, hey, I want my life to go well and to move forward, and I want to see things, and I want to grow, and I need you to be honest with me when you see stuff. Maybe it's your friends, maybe it's your family, maybe it's a table group, right, that you're participating in table groups, and to look at people around you and say, like, hey, guys, like, I'm doing this, I, I want you speaking into my life, so just so you know, you, you have that ability that whatever you see, I want you to, I want you to say it to me. Right? Give people permission so we can grow. Five, healthy confrontation needs to be appropriate in time and manner. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. These are two of my legit favorite verses. Proverbs 27, 14 says this, A greeting shouted in the morning will be taken as a curse. <laughs> my wife's a morning person, so she knows that one. Proverbs 25, 20, singing songs to someone who is sad is like taking away his coat on a cold day or pouring vinegar on soda. Now, the thing about these things is they're both good things, right? Like greetings are great things. Singing songs to people are great things. There are some good intentions here, but what these Proverbs are sharing is that good intentions don't mean good results. And when there's a tension between the two, focus on the results, Focus on what happens. I had a conversation with a friend this week, uh, and this friend was defending the position of Howard Schultz, a Starbucks guy, who said that he doesn't see color, right? And we were just having this conversation, and I said, hey, I understand what you're saying, but I just want you to know that what I'm hearing from my friends of color is, is I'm hearing that that phrase is hurtful to them because they feel like it minimizes 
the painful experiences that they're going through as a result of being people of color. And so when, they say, when you say you don't see that, it feels like you're denying some parts of their experience. And he said, well, I'm not intending that at all. I'm just trying to use a shorthand for Martin Luther King's uh, I have a dream speech that I am going to judge people by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. I'm just trying to use a shorthand for that. And I'm saying, I understand your intentions there, but with the words you're using, your greeting will be taken as a curse, right? It's good intentions, but if you do it in a way that's not helpful, it's going to have bad results. So if you want different results, use different words, because the how matters. So for us, it matters in cultivation. We should be looking for appropriate timing and methods and words when our neighbors may be ready to hear. So maybe in the heat of the moment when everything's just falling apart, maybe that's not the time to like talk to someone about why everything just fell apart in their life. Maybe it's not the right time for that. Or maybe in public, in front of other people, is not the time to point out things or areas of growth when it may be embarrassing to them to have other people around. Like, what does it mean for us to look about doing cultivation in healthy and appropriate ways? All right, finally, I'm preaching to myself here. Uh, let's put these all back on the screens. These five steps we've talked about today are what we're learning it takes for healthy cultivation. If any of these five are absent, there's a good chance we might be more harmful than helpful, right? All right, like, I just got to apply this to social media real quick, right? Because I have a problem with that. So how many of these things are present when we have the impulse to cultivate on social media or by email forwards or whatever it is? How many of these are present? Do we have relationship? Well, maybe with the person we're talking to, but maybe not the other hundred people that might be watching, right? What about listening? How well can we really listen in that format when we can't even see the person around us or see the emotions they may be exhibiting? Or empathy, how well can that happen? What about permission? Again, when maybe you have some people that are intentionally giving you permission, but then there's a bunch of other people watching that aren't. Or appropriateness, when there's a bunch of different people that may have different experiences, that the timing of their life may be completely different from each other. The reality is, is when we share on social media and try and cultivate that way, we're probably barely checking any of these boxes. And then we wonder why things go so miserably wrong sometimes, right? So may we be people that ask the questions about, is what I'm doing really helpful? So that we may become people that have reputation for love, have the same reputation for love as the Jesus we follow. As we close here, we're going to have some time of music real quick. I just want to give us some time to focus on this and ask yourself to think back over your general uh, cultivation efforts that you've had recently or over a long period of time. Where have you found them to be helpful and productive and healthy? And where have you found that they haven't been? Let's just take some time to consider before we close.
As we close today, can you stand with me? Let me pray this over you. May we, the people of South Bend, see our neighbors the way God sees us, as individuals created in his image and not just projects. May we resist the urge to control others towards our desired ends, but instead cultivate the goodness and grace and peace that God has already begun in their lives. And may people know us as followers of Jesus because of our love for one another. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great day.